Good morning, everybody out there on the live stream and everyone listening after the fact and Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. This is the Go Long Podcast brought to you by Fatty Beer Company. We're not drinking a fatty beer because it's 7.23 a.m., but we do have coffee again. Jim, how you doing, brother? Good morning. Good morning from Buffalo via Vegas. I, I seem to be on a every weekend. I don't know how many people I said before. I don't think anybody would complain about this, but my assignment in the XFL is covering all the Vegas home games. So I'm not complaining, but we are now we will be having our fifth and final one this coming weekend. So that'll be the fourth time I've been there in five weeks. So anybody's been to Vegas and that's not a direct flight from Buffalo to Vegas. You really, we really should have demanded Jim Monas do something absurd every time he's in Vegas, just for the podcast alone, right? Steal Mike Tyson's tiger. Uh, maybe get a maybe get a face tattoo, something like that. Uh, you, Anything come it's, to mind? Anything close? Maybe there's this other side of Jim Onis I don't know about. Our listeners don't know about. And you're you're right. you're a wild animal out there. I'll tie I'll tie Vegas and and our go long football stories together. My very first trip to Vegas, I was a scout for the Philadelphia Eagles, and a famous play happened while I was in Vegas because I was at I was scouting an All Star game at the time, but the Eagles were playing in the playoffs. It was the Freddie Mitchell fourth and 26 catch. The very first time I was in Vegas, that happened. So I do have a, a, a I go way back with Vegas, but it's been uh, it's been nice going out there at our, our ages now. There's no I don't have any good uh, I don't have any hangover stories. Yeah, my bounce back ability is you know, certifiably shot. I, I I don't have any desire to really put push the limit on that front. But that Freddie Mitchell play, fourth and 26, that was uh, in my young Green Bay Packer fandom days. And I, I God, y'all just ripped into my heart. And well, I was still my, my... I was, It's funny because I, I just couldn't, you know, I was a Packers fan too my whole life until I started working for the Eagles. You realize real quick the difference between being a fan and working for a team, how your loyalty does go right to your team that's on your paycheck. I mean, oh, let's yeah. face it. It, it, it. You know, you grow up with Packers, Packers. I was rooting so hard. I mean, I was such an, you know, I wanted the Eagles to win so bad because that was the team I was working for. So it was strange for me to root against Green Bay. That was kind of the first time I remember, like, I just want, I just want us to win. Like, I don't, I'm over. I'm not a fan anymore. This is my job. This is like wins matter. You can lose your job if your team's not good. Mm -hmm. But that was the infamous uh, Mike Sherman punting on, on fourth and one when Amon Green and Najee Davenport are just destroying your Eagles. I mean, they were running the ball at freaking will. And Tyler. they, punt, I mean, really one yard and it's over. They're in the NFC championship game over right there. I, it's a perfect segue. We'll get into some Sean McDermott comments here coming up about Josh Allen. But would, would that even be something, where were they on the field 
the Green Bay that they would have punted the ball. Like I wonder to, in today's game if yeah. they would have punted the ball. No, you don't have to look it up, but I was just oh, curious. Yeah, no, we we, we, we got to look this up. We got. Well, look I'm curious because you had brought it up just, before. We talked about how the game has changed so much in ten years. This is twenty yeah. something years ago. All right, here it is. Yeah, January eleventh, two thousand four. So it's the 03 season. There you go. Nineteen. Yep. Yep. The play by play. I. Th- this Man, is a good one because I really am curious how many games would change if we look back on fourth and ones. Just because they're it was at so... the. Uh, <laughs> it's brutal. They're at the Philadelphia forty-one yard line, down no. seven. Or I'm sorry, ahead 17-14, two minutes. 30 seconds left, no. fourth and one. Yes, and Brett Favre then took a delay a game to give them some more room for a Josh Bidwell punt. <sighs> and then that's when they punt to Philadelphia and they're, you know, they have – um, Yeah. That's going to be my favorite takeaway from the show today right there. The game has changed. There's no way anybody's punting that ball. Right, and then I think we said it on the last episode – how Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl a few years later the first drive they're at the the, the inch yard line and they get just that good three game. so get that get that three whatever it takes get points on the yeah. that's the point right I mean evolution is is gradual it's real, it's real. that's it's a real good one. and it's you, you can either get on board or not you can you can yeah. either be bold and ballsy and make the the decisions you have to make with everything on the line and stand by those decisions. Or you can, you know, cough in a corner, punch your way to the golf course. <laughs> I, it's yeah. it's amazing. I would love to look back. I, not, like we talked about before, I want to hear if the announcers questioned Green Bay punting the ball in that situation. Like, if it wasn't even talked about. You know what? I, I do remember in the moment. I mean, I'm just, God, what am I? I'm a middle schooler. Being pissed, like, in the moment. Because they were just running all over Philly. And that was the year Mon Green ran for like 1,800 yards. Davenport was solid. Uh, Favre was efficient. Really, we have we have some Packer listeners here. I mean, I, <laughs> that's a nightmarish game because in the annals of all of these heartbreaking playoff losses that they've had with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you go back to the, the Seattle NFC Championship game with Brandon Bostic, um, the overtime loss to Arizona, um, I mean, the last few ones, Tampa Bay at home, Jimmy Garoppolo at home. But really, that that 0-3 season was – they were the team of destiny that year. Remember how they got in? They were they were 10-6. and six. That was when Brett Favre's dad passed away, and then he played the Oakland okay. Raiders. I didn't the next day has the game of his life. Um, the season finale, they need, they need Arizona to beat Minnesota to get in. So Green Bay takes care of business against Detroit. Amon Green has like a 98-yard touchdown run. And then on, they got on the, the big screen, Nate Poole in the corner of the end zone from Josh McCown on fourth down. That, that's the play that even gets them in the playoffs. They get in, and it's the Matt Hasselbeck, we want the ball, and we're going to score pick six to Al Harris. I mean, they, they they were hot at the right time. The defense was really good. Amon Green, everything ran through him. I mean, J- Javon Walker was around, Robert Ferguson. They, they had a formula that could work and fourth and 26 happened Fred X with the belt before the belt. So they're, right. they're a let's talk Vegas about football and, today. 
But see, that's that's Vegas, and we tied it right in the go long. And and there was an assistant coach in that game, Sean McDermott, assistant coach for the Eagles in that game. Let's go to his comments. And I want I, I, we didn't really talk about this. Uh, so the owners' meetings are this week down in Arizona. So this is a chance for all the coaches, the GMs, speak with the media. And Sean McDermott had some interesting comments on Josh Allen. So, I mean, obviously we had the story last week and the Buffalo Bills philosophically, a lot of stuff that we've talked about on here. I just put pen to paper, Jim. I really believe like if they want to maximize this window, a big part of it is acknowledging the reality that is Josh Allen's window and the way he plays, right? This is year six. There's nobody like him in the game. 6'5", 250, hurtling linebackers, truck-sticking DBs, throwing the football through a brick wall. Um, look, he wasn't good against Cincinnati. I, I'm not saying that Josh Allen is, you know, a Greek god and it can do no wrong. But if with all of these salary cap issues and defensive issues and draft issues, that's what you have going for you if you're the Buffalo Bills. You do have this freak of nature quarterback. So lean into that freak of nature as much as you can while you can, because as Cam Newton tells us, things can go south in a hurry. So he was in year six after his 2015 years we discussed and everything kind of went downhill, never made another Pro Bowl, one more winning season. Now he's posting really pathetic videos declaring himself better than all 32 quarterbacks in the NFL, which you know statistically and straight up common sense is, is flat wrong. Um, but so, so this is, but this is a really good debate because I, I honestly can see both, both sides of the argument here. And we, and we've, we've talked about it. So the issue of, of uh, Josh Allen's health, it's come up a handful of times, you know, early on Brandon being the GM when he was asked about, it was almost kind of like an all shucks. Yeah. We, we want, we want Josh to take it easy out there, but it, it was kind of like just dismissed. Like, yeah, he takes some shots, he delivers some shots, but it feels like this offseason there's a more serious tone behind the, the framing of, of Brandon Bean's answer. I, I can't remember exactly what he said at the NFL Combine, but it was it looked a little bit more like, yeah, we want him to take it easy. Like, we don't want him to take these shots. And then Sean McDermott kind of took it to another level at the NFL owners meeting. Uh, Judy Batista's there, and she has the, the details. He said to Judy, quote, I don't think that's a healthy way to play quarterback in this league. And it's undefeated that things are going to happen when you play that style brand of football. And there was a follow-up here. If you can give me a second. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting that the, the undefeated part is interesting. I, I, that's the word I think I like that he used it. Look, not like, but that stands out that this is a major topic for him. Right. Like for him to say he must he's trying to get the point across. This you're not gonna win this battle, Josh. Almost like he's saying he also you're said, not gonna... quote We have to get that adjusted and it's never going to go completely away, but it has to get where it's workable. Okay. So so I have some thoughts, but I want to hear you first, yeah. Jim. Is no, no, this no. middle ground even realistic? Is there a middle ground for Josh Allen running with the football 
taking hits, delivering hits. And we should say, too, like the UCL injury, I believe he was in the pocket, right? That wasn't like Josh Allen was going full Cirque du Soleil on the New York Jets defense or anybody. It was routine. But Sean's point is sound in that, like these hits add up. There's an accumulation factor. He was around Cam Newton. He saw it. And as they add up, like as you carry the ball 10 to 15 times a game and take a few sacks, take a few hits, um, that can wear down on your body over time. So, all right, go ahead. I think you're trying to control too many things as a head coach. If you're trying to control, you're trying to control the outcome of your best playmaker one of the best playmakers. I'm just going to use the word playmaker, not quarterback, because the reason he is such a playmaker is because of his ability to run as well. And there's no way you can take it away. You can talk about it. You can talk about, to me, the best ways. To me, for Josh, the way he plays the game, he does take a lot of unnecessary hits. It's not taken away from his running. But he needs to know when the play's over, when to call to play, when to get down, when to get out of bounds. There are ways to run the ball as a quarterback. And I think he needs to buy into that. That that would be that would be the only thing I think I would want from the coach or the GM to say to Josh Allen is, is there any way you can just try everything you can to protect yourself? Because you can't take away what he does. It's too instinctive for Josh Allen. He's a lot of times those runs that Josh makes are instinctive, you know, on the fly, scramble, boom, play's not there, I'm running. You can't take that away from somebody because those aren't planned. Those are him being a playmaker again. So, no, I don't like it. I think you're trying to control things as a head coach when you say, you know, that's undefeated. It's not – yeah, you're right. Injuries are going to catch up to you playing that way. That's – but that – that to me isn't what the quarterback needs to hear. The quarterback needs to hear, how can we help you with this? Because we need you to run. You know, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. You can't take that away from him. The defensive coordinator would love for you to say no more runs, Josh, because that that eliminates part of their playbook. <laughs> and that is a fantastic point. You brought it up a handful of times, one of the more indelible Memories you have from your Philadelphia Eagle days was Jim Johnson, D coordinator, preparing for Michael Vick. And, I mean, here's one of the best defensive coaches in NFL history stressing out because nothing you do on a whiteboard or it was a chalkboard back then. I don't know. Matters when you face a quarterback that can make stuff happen spontaneously. I mean, you want to – it's like an artist. You want to hack away at this artist's spontaneity and – uh, that that improvisational ability to just go make a play. It's it's an imperfect example, but I get irate over like comedians getting canceled, right? Like all these comedians who, who like their job is to push the envelope, cross the line, stir shit up. Like Dave Chappelle, all of these guys. That's what makes them great. That's what makes them iconic is the fact that they make people uncomfortable. And when these guys start getting canceled left and right, that's like the death of comedy. It's like an, it's their art form. And now they feel like they can't even do what they've done their whole life and trust their instincts and their improvisational skills and, and just create art. 
I don't know. I feel like they're trying to kind of water down and purify what Josh Allen does great. And look, maybe these are just words in March. I tend to think these are just words in March that really won't mean a hell of a lot. Because when push comes to shove and the Buffalo Bills are, are facing whoever, Belichick, the Dolphins, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, whoever in the AFC, and you need a play, and it's the fourth down, it's the fourth quarter, and it's third down. Josh Allen's gonna take off. He's gonna make a play. We see that we saw the same thing last year. I remember having the conversation with Jordan Palmer um, for the roundtable story I did, and it was like, you know, he was unsure exactly. All right, how much running is Josh really gonna do? Is this something that maybe they save for late in the season? And what happened early in the year? Josh Allen's running. Like this is what gives you the best chance to win. This is what makes him special. And he's never, look, if he was going to be this slice you and dice you brainy quarterback from the pocket, like a burrow, right? That's burrow's game. And that's why that Orlando Brown signing is so huge because he just needs that extra split second to let a receiver get out of his break, to read a safety, to figure out what you're doing defensively. And he's going to use his mind to beat you, which over the long haul is probably what you'd prefer out of any quarterback. Um, but he's not going to make the plays that Josh Allen makes in the open field. And he doesn't have a strong of an arm. If you, if you're interested in winning Super Bowls, you are insane to hold back what Josh Allen does best. And that's create play, make balls to the wall. Don't hold him back. Go for broke. And that's kind of the reaction I saw to these comments. There were some fans. I I got to pull up the exact the exact tweet that I thought was hit the nail on the head. Um, but they almost they didn't. I don't think they necessarily like it. I think they want him to stay healthy over the long haul, which I get. But yeah, at Fitz's beard uh, wrote back to me. I take one Super Bowl win with full Josh Allen versus twenty years of Allen and no Super Bowl. Um. Look, maybe it's not as black and white as I'm making it out to be, Jim, but I think you just got to lean into what makes Josh Allen special. And that, and that's a quarterback who is just going to do whatever he can to will your team to a win. It's not, it's not trying to re- rein him in and, and make him somebody that he's not. No. That doesn't make any sense. Agreed. The two things that are funny to me would be this should have been addressed before the contract and everything. Like this, this conversation needed to happen before you pay. Once you paid him, you've already committed to his style and you've committed, you've told him, yes, you are taking us to a Super Bowl. Now you're going to ask him after you just give him this contract. Now you're going to ask him to be careful. Like, I think that's the only way, like, you can't take it away from him, like we said. You just have to ask him to try, to try to avoid some hits that you don't have to take. But you can't take it away from him. There's no way. It's just because here's the next part. I would love for the Bills to win an AFC championship or a Super Bowl and the winning play be a special Josh Allen, third and 12, scramble, run somebody over for the first down. And, you know, what do you ask? Hey, Sean. If you could ask him after the game, um, if you keep him from running, he doesn't get that. 
So how do you, that's the, that's when you open, you open a door, if you're McDermott saying, we don't want him to do that. Like, as long as he's not saying we don't want him to, I like how he spins it and says that playing that way is undefeated, like against you. Like you're going to get hurt is what he's saying. Well, then you know what? Go ahead and go punt on fourth and two again in the there you two go. seconds up in the third quarter. Go the ahead. Thing, Have fun playing only, that way and no thinking doubt. that way. The only thing I would say that's undefeated, this is the only thing we always say in the NFL, is father time. That's the only thing that's undefeated. The age is going to catch you. You can't predict injuries. You can try your best, but you can't predict them. We've studied it at nauseum for the drafts. Spending time on players' injuries in college doesn't correlate to the NFL. It doesn't even correlate. You could take, you could draft a player that never had an injury in college. His rookie year blows his knee out. There's no correlation. Injuries are complete. They're out of your control, which we all don't like, right? Because <laughs> especially, especially good old shit. But I wouldn't mess with. I wouldn't mess with anything with that quarterback. I would just keep. Keep loading them up, like you said. Keep loading up that offense. You're past the point of no return. Like if you, if you really want him to you be are, a different player, a different quarterback him. who's taking less hits over time, you already paid him. He already has a lot of miles on the odometer. He's already taken a lot of shots. It just doesn't make any sense, but it makes all the sense in the world because this is on brand for the head coach and what we've seen. This ultra, ultra, yeah, conservative. Um, I think I described him as almost like a paranoid actuary in the playoffs with these decisions, but this is an extension of that. I don't think you're going to beat Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence in this AFC and throw Justin Herbert in there, whoever you want. If you're, if you're going to hold back the one variable you have that nobody else has. Um, I, I would love to see Josh Allen's reaction to to these comments. I mean, he probably just laughs and says, "Okay, okay, third third and ten when there's another free runner in my face and I've got to make a play." Or we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm probably going to yeah. take off and try to get the first down. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, that's a good point. I'd like to hear his reaction. His reactions will just, we don't need to hear anything from Josh Allen. We'll just watch out. Well, publicly, he won't say anything. That's what I'm <laughs> but saying. He won't probably. say a word. Yeah. We'll just watch the game and see how it looks. If, if he's taking off, he's saying, I got you, coach, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll try my best to stay healthy. But I can't see, I just don't see how you could take that away from him. And remember, too, it was uh, 20, you know, 2021 season. They, they lose to the Patriots in that wind game. And the season's kind of falling apart. Tampa Bay's just crushing the Bills at halftime. It was really Josh Allen's rushing ability that turned that turned that offense into a juggernaut at the perfect time. Because you know, the Atlanta game, right, he wasn't throwing the ball well at all, but he was running really well. Carolina game, they get into the playoffs. They blast the Patriots. And they, you know, they took they took him down to New England as well before that, and then he had the uh, the thirteen seconds game. But it was just um, unfiltered, uninhibited, freestyling, go for broke Josh Allen. It wasn't um, play it safe, and maybe maybe Sean does see a happy medium. Maybe there maybe there is one, but I can't think of 
any quarterback who period, I guess nobody's played like Josh Allen. It's hard to find comparisons to him other than Cam Newton. Um, yeah, even, even Ben Roethlisberger, he, it's not like he's in the open field doing anything. I mean, there's there's nobody like him. But of the quarterbacks who did run to the extent Josh Allen has run, I can't think of anybody in the middle of that career just running less and then lasting longer. Can you I – mean, I mean, I guess nobody really comes to mind. No, his style's – it's funny. You went through the guys, you know, the cast of characters of the running quarterbacks that we always kind of go through and try to slot him. And Cam comes to mind as far as the size and the style, as far as that straight ahead, I'm going to run you over. I'm going to extend the play for extra yards. Like that's, it, it's the closest one I can think of. Cam was more special and more natural. Josh isn't the most natural running the ball. Like you can tell that he's kind of grown into this, you know, running well, remember him at the combine, his 40, his running yes. form? Yes. It, he needed to go to Don Beebe's uh, camp here in Buffalo back in the day. You got to pump the arms. That was, it was, it was almost like, how does that happen? We've, the reason it didn't blow me away too much is because over the years, the combine always, well, every year there's that guy like, hmm, how he could look so good on tape. And then you just see him run a 40. It's like, what is that? But, um, but then he does what he does. It's does what he does. It just you just got to ask him to try. Just try to get out of bounds. Try to get down when you can get down. That's all you can do. But to take it away from him, no way. Here's here's where I'd be encouraged though is judging the Bills off of their their actions and free agency in the fact that they didn't go all in on like Derrick Henry. Right. And which it sounds great. Derrick Henry is this freight train of a running back. But if they would have committed to Derrick Henry, I mean, then you're philosophically going a very, very wrong direction here with what your strength is. It's I went on WGR last week with Mike Shope and the Bulldog. They they're fantastic. I love going on with those guys. And Shope uh, introduced me, goes, Tyler, I saw the headline of your story that the Bills need a philosophical change, and I was terrified. He was very scared that I was going to say they needed to run the ball and, you know, like, like, no, I'm going the other direction, further the other direction. You are going. It's. I love what you said about free agency for them as far as just load up and score points. Yeah, You have the, you have the hardest thing to find. You have the quarterback. Stop worrying about him. Don't worry about him anymore. You paid him. You've already established that you believe in the quarterback. Get move on from that. Have that conversation behind closed doors. Hey, Josh, do the best you can to get down. Keep it moving. You that's can't it. spend that's time it. on that. That's it. Totally. That's the conversation. It lasts about eight words. Eight Josh, words. try not to get killed out there, but be you. Be you. Do your. Do you? They could do it. They could do it while they're walking into a team meeting together, just real quick. Hey, Josh, can you just get down? Yes, coach. I wouldn't say another word. That's as a, I, that, that would be the extent I would do with that. You know, Sean's taking on an awful lot here between, you know, having some influence now over the quarterback, between calling plays on defense, all the game management decisions on top of that, which have been suboptimal. A lot on the head coach's plate. I, I, I would tread carefully in, in telling the quarterback what to do here if you're the head coach. 
One other point, Jim. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, severely sprained ankle. I mean, that was as gruesome of an injury. We were about to have our uh, our our draft extravaganza at Fatty Beer. Mm-hmm. I remember we we're watching the Jags Chiefs. His leg just gets, you know, bent like a number two pencil underneath that Jags uh, D lineman. I mean, we I think we all thought his it was over. So it was it was a high ankle sprain, and at the best case scenario in that moment, we're thinking, okay, the Chiefs are they're they're getting a different Mahomes, and they did. I'm not saying he was the Mahomes of old, um, but they might have to run the ball. It's going to be hard for them to even win if he's out there. They threw the ball 43 times the next week in the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati. The play of the game is Patrick Mahomes running for that first down and then getting hit out of bounds. The Super Bowl, he's perfect in the second half. Granted, it was the, the play calling adjusted. It was getting the ball out quicker, but it's not like they – it's not like Andy Reid just shut him down. He easily could have just taken him out of the game and gone with a healthy quarterback. Um, they – he, he still was all in on, on on Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's what the best teams do. You, you just got to go all in on your special quarterbacks because those are the teams that are going to last. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about Daniel Jones and the Giants. I, I still love everything they're doing, but it's hard to really get past the fact that those last two teams standing in the Super Bowl are going to be standing because they've got two transcendent special quarterbacks that are just going to make the sort of plays that other quarterbacks dream of. And that's what, that's what the bills have. And that's why the Super Bowl hope is, is very real into 2023. If the head coach, the GM, the offensive coordinator, everybody else can kind of get on board and just go. It's there's certain players, whatever sport, because we talk basketball a lot, football, there's just certain players that do things that other players don't even attempt because it's not in their repertoire athletically to even do some of the things Patrick Mahomes can do. He, he Patrick Mahomes can attempt throws. Other guys can't even think about throwing. Like it's that crazy of a difference in talent. Yeah. And Josh Allen, regardless of maybe it's not Mahomes as far as throwing the ball, but he does things that Mahomes can't do and, and not many other people can do. And, and that's what you just have to just put your hands up. And the reason I said basketball as well, do you think that, do you think that Steve Kerr loved every shot that Steph Curry was taking as they were evolving to half court shots were normal and Dane Lillard taking half court shots is now normal. Do you think the coaches like that at first? No, but there's no way they liked it at first. And then all of a sudden you're looking around and guys are just jacking threes all over the place. Now the college game does it as we're watching college basketball and they're not as good. They're no, they're good. missing it. Yeah. They're just missing. They're, but they're still just jacking threes. That's right. a really good it's point, just, Jim. Yeah, it's right. Because when you're that, special, you're special. It's not pretty. Yeah. Because if you're, you know, pick pick your quarterback, pick your team, you're not gonna you're not gonna want your quarterback to to even attempt the things that Mahomes is doing, obviously, but even even in Josh Allen. You're not going to ask that quarterback to jump over that defensive back, Darius no. Sneed, right? You're just you're just not. You're you're, no. you're going to scold him in the film room the next day for even attempting it. But for evolution to happen, 
you need you need some you need to be a little uncomfortable. I mean, that's why that's why Tony Gonzalez and Mike Malarkey despised each other. I mean, in in the blood and guts, how tight on safe football. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jay. I apologize. You know, I gotta, there's, there's no there's no playing off that plug, but but it's it applies, I promise. I mean, that was day one when the, so Mike Malarkey is the offensive coordinator for Atlanta. They trade Atlanta trades for Tony Gonzalez. He, he gets out of Kansas City, right? He has all those terrible quarterbacks in Kansas City. He wants to win a ring. They sit down, they're watching film their first day together. And Mike Malarkey is just pulling up clips of Mark Bruner and all those big, burly tight ends in Pittsburgh through the 90s, just shortening necks, as Tony said, like just pummeling people in the run game. And not, nothing's being said. He just, it's one clip after another, and a clip to a clip to a clip to a clip. And Mike Malarkey told me he shows this to all of his new tight ends. But Tony Gonzalez is watching this and he's thinking, Hold, why did you guys trade for me? That's not what I do. And Mike Larky, he's thinking this. And Mike Larky tells him, like, this is what a tight end does. This is who you're going to be. And he was in line blocking. He was a lead blocker at times. He's staying after practice with other tight ends with a, a, a grunt of a backup defensive tackle, just one-on-one blocking jumps. Bang, 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 bang. Eventually, Tony's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm done with this. They went at it, and it all came to a head in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visitor's locker room when Tony Gonzalez was stuck on catch number 999. And offensive coordinator, play caller Mike Malarkey just decided to not really call any plays for Tony in that second half. So that's what we'll leave the cliffhanger there because it was uh, quite a scene inside that locker room for those that want to read the blood and guts. And we get both perspectives, Mike, Tony, they both wanted a piece of each other. But my point being, Tony Gonzalez was changing the game. This is a, a basketball player and a football player who on Speaking of March Madness, I mean, he's at Cal at, what, 6'4", 6'5", severely undersized for his position, learning how to time up his jump shots in the paint to get a shot over Ed O'Bannon and Tim Thomas, you know, these 6'9", 6'10", guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you're timing up his rebounds. So just athletically, the muscle memory is kind of being established where, I mean, he he's able to – succeed against guys who are five, six, seven inches taller than him every night in basketball. So then you, you just take this, this creature, you put him onto a football field against a five, 10, six foot, nothing DB. It's child's play. I mean, you pull, go on YouTube right now and pull up Tony Gonzalez highlights. It's just, these just plucking footballs atop helmets and just athletically doing things we've never seen. Even even the Chiefs didn't really use him properly. The only coach he really did was Jimmy Ray, offensive coordinator back in the day. And he even said, like, when the greatest show on turf offense came in, that was wide receiver friendly, not tight end friendly. He's putting up these numbers in spite of the scheme. And then he gets Mike Malarkey, and, and then they almost comes to a head. But it, my point being, it's there was this uncomfortability factor in a player changing the sport changing the position and that coaches couldn't get on board, but you know who did get on board? Sean Payton, Jim Monas. Jim Monas is a Southeast scout out there. It was shortly after Tony Gonzalez kind of busts onto the scene. All of a sudden Antonio Gates is getting workouts with the San Diego chargers. And then he, 
he he further changes the position. And you're then you're just looking for basketball players. You're giving them workouts, tryouts. Jimmy Graham, the year before he came out in the draft, when his basketball career was done at Miami, the Patriots put him through a workout. They wanted to add him to the practice squad before he even played a down in college football. You know, that, I, that had to have been tempting for Jimmy Graham. To, to tur- but he, he turned down the Patriots because he knew he needed to play, develop, plays that one-year college football. You're down there in the Southeast scouting him. Sean Payton has the guts to take him in the third round around before everybody thought he was going to go, right? He thought the Ravens were going to take him. He thought the Patriots were going to take him. Um, and and Payton just took one round earlier, and then Jimmy Graham further changed the position. So, And not, not, now if you don't have an athletic tight end, if you don't have somebody like this, your offense isn't nearly as dynamic, and you, you better be looking for one, or, or you'll be looking for a job. It's I know you follow uh, Warren Sharp on Twitter. He's outstanding for anybody that cares about analytics in football. I, there's nobody better as far as at least giving you good content. He has done so many breakdowns on tight ends really should be getting paid like receivers. When you look at their value, their targets, their receptions, their production, t- touchdowns especially, it's just such a weapon. And then you're talking for a quarterback. He can throw to a six foot four or six foot five guy. You don't have to be perfect on those throws. You need to get the ball high because most likely he's bigger, you know, he's bigger than the safety corner or linebacker that's covering him. That's Drew Brees. That's an easy one for Brees. Oh, I know no matter what, I know I just got to at least put it high enough. Shockey can get it. Jimmy Graham can get it. It it makes sense. It it, it makes so much sense. Andy Reid, if you even go back, and I know I always have to do my Andy Reid stuff, but go back to those years, those early 2000 years with Philly. Look at, I'll throw out a tight end. Chad Lewis from BYU was our tight end. Now, Andy yeah. Reid came from Green Bay, who we know loved tight ends before. Holmgren was into tight ends. Before, you know, he was kind of ahead of the game with tight ends. Yes. And Two Andy tight ends. Tremura, Keith Jackson. That's what made Belichick sweat as the Browns coach in 95. Love this. So this is where Andy Reid took that to Philly. So we had Chad Lewis, who was the kind of all around, just he was good at everything, not special. But in Philly, when I was a Northeast scout, once again, we were we drafted L.J. Smith from Rutgers. Now, not a lot of people remember that name, but if you study L.J. Smith, Tyler, he was he was a receiver playing tight end. Oh, yeah, I couldn't. I he was like one of my favorite players I've ever scouted because I was like, this guy's going to be a matchup nightmare. I, I'd love to know where he's at right now because injuries injuries kind of derailed his career. But Andy Reid, I think, was going to make him – I think he was going to make him a pretty special player in terms of production. But And that goes back to the player and coach matching up correctly. But back to Andy Reid. He knew it in the early 2000s. Then I'm with the Saints, 2006, and Sean Payton comes in, and tight end was going to be a part of this offense. No matter what, he came from the Giants. You know, he started there. He had Shockey. He, he loved tight ends. He proved it. I mean, he, he, we had Shockey. We got Jimmy Graham. I mean, if you're a tight end with Sean Payton, you're going to produce. The best coaches in NFL history just knew how to use tight ends. <laughs> and, and they were ahead of the game in every way with it. Parcells, Payton, um, Belichick. Holmgren that you mentioned, all of these, all of these coaches, they just knew. And it's financially 
smart because they um, are so woefully underpaid for what they give your offense. That would be the biggest change, I think, for teams as, as far as how they stru- structure and build their rosters right now with this, you know, with the salary cap. If tight ends started getting paid their value as far as their production, that could change how you, you you're, it would change your roster building a little bit. If their money went up to what they deserve, that would change things because getting tight ends right now at, at that value you're getting them helps. I think Belichick was trying to do that a few years back, right? With Hunter Henry and John U. Smith, they both got the big deals. Henry's been really good. John U. Smith, not so much. And then, but look at even John U. Smith, he gets traded to Atlanta when Atlanta has Kyle Pitts. So they're going to try to do the two tight end thing down there with our Arthur Smith. Or, they, or they're going to make Pitts or just stand him up at this point. I don't know. I never know what Atlanta, Atlanta's a little confusing. We talk about that a lot. They, they do some strange things, but because they're the same, you're right. John and Pitts are the same. Pitts is better, obviously, but same style as. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I just think those, you don't want to get too, I guess, too outlandish with uh, the evolution and the outside of the box thinking, but it's the coaches who are thinking outside of the box. So they're going to keep winning and are at the cutting edge. Yes. And I think that's kind of what I want to get into here uh, before we close up. I, I know we, we talked about it beforehand. Speaking of Sean Payton, speaking of evolving and kind of thinking two, three moves ahead. You know, when we saw him take that Denver job, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, what are you doing, Sean? What are you doing? You got a washed up Russell Wilson who was, I mean, a disaster. Say what you want about Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, he was a major part of the problem. The game management was, I mean, left a lot to be desired. They had to hire somebody, you know, in the middle of the season just to kind of help with that stuff. Um, But Russell was just missing open receivers all all over the place. And the defense was really, really good. And then all of a sudden you've got the defensive players and the offensive players at each other's necks on the sideline, which harkens back to the end of the Legion of Boom, right? Seth Wickersham's exceptional story in SI, or ESPN, sorry, um, where those, yeah, the kind of the infighting from within, and they they had that already in Denver with an old quarterback who's small, who can't move like he once did. If, I mean, if I'm Sean Payton and I can pick my destination, honestly, hang out with Colin Cowherd and Fox for a year, see what happens with you know, there's probably going to be a team that underachieves that has a really good quarterback, and you can take that job. Or, hello, Caleb Williams on the USC. I, I would love to coach you who, with whoever has the number one. And here he he decided, and money talks, never paid him a lot of money. But still, he decided to become the head coach of the Denver Broncos and fix Russell Wilson. So, Jim, I ask you, why and what is the direction of this offense? So, yeah, we were both confused on why he came back for that job. And it hit me the way you were describing it hit me this week and then how you just described it, too. But when I read that Russell Wilson had a surgery on his knee, I believe it was, it hit me that this is very similar to when he took over the Saints, where you're taking a small quarterback, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, coming off a surgery. People aren't sure about are they done? 
the Miami Dolphins said Breeze was not going to be able to, it wasn't going to be good enough to ever play again. And I'm not going to lie. We all know that was everybody that was in New Orleans that first off season knows it was a little hold your breath. I mean, it wasn't like he was throwing, you know, it wasn't like Breeze ever had a big arm and you're watching that ball. Not, you know, there was no drive on the ball that, you know, he just didn't have it yet, but it came back. Obviously point being, he sees something similar in the fact that this Russell Wilson can run the offense the way I need it run. That's a big thing for every offensive head coach. Can he run the offense? Can he make checks? Can he get out of anything? Russell supposedly can do that. I don't know. I've never been around him in, in the NFL, but Coach Payton wouldn't take that job if he didn't believe Russell Wilson could run his offense and get the job done as far as the passes that Coach Payton needs him to complete, he believes in. And he did it before with Drew Brees, who wasn't 100%. So Coach Payton believes in a defense. Denver has running backs. They have a defense. He's going to get the most – he believes he can get the most out of whatever Russell Wilson has left. You over – I mean, they overpaid, but still, you, you get Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. You look at their guards and, and Quinn Minerts and Ben Powers and – Garibald's on the other side at left tackle. Best blocking Javante tight end. Williams. They signed the best blocking right. tight end. Chris Manhurts. The best, the best blocking tight end in the NFL. Chris Manhurts still going, still going strong. I love it. Um, it's so it's 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 pretty obvious, right? What they want to do. Javante Williams coming back. Remember how jacked up people were for him last season. He's so uh, they're gonna and, and Samaje Pirine. I mean, he's proven in spot duty. He can get you hundred yards. He you know? is. Look what they're adding. Pirine. These got. He is all toughness. Man hurts toughness. Like they're adding. They're bringing tough guys in. You know, they're not messing around. I like. I, you could sell. You could see the mentality when you start seeing signings like that. You know what they're trying to do. Trying to run. Trying to get the play action game off of that. I think uh, Sean no. Payton came out. And said we're not trading Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, um, which you know I guess we'll we'll see. But we'll see. those are two good receivers. I still can't make the leap quite yet. I need to see it to believe it. I'll say this, and Peter King made this point last week. Um, always required reading Football Morning in America over at PFT and NBC. He thought that. The most fascinating signing, I believe, I believe he's the most fascinating signing, if not one of Jarrett Stidham. Sean Payton signing Jarrett Stidham. And I get it. Stidham is a Stidham. <laughs> but he he pointed to the fact, I gotta pull up the exact game. I, I almost forgot about this game. You know, he played against San Francisco late last season. Um yeah. With the Raiders, obviously, 23 of 34, 365 yards, three touchdowns. He thinks that Peyton saw that and is like, okay, let's obviously we're they have to be all in on Russell Wilson. The money alone tells you you need to be all in on Russell Wilson. But if things start to look a little dicey and it's pretty clear that Russ is cooked, we might see Jarrett Stidham, a Jarrett Stidham revival. Stidham looked, the little bit I've seen of yeah, the little bit that we've seen of Stidham, he looks like a, a backup quarterback that can get you. He would be in that bottom tier starters, you know, if he had to start. We always talk about what's a backup's goal. If he's playing four games, can he go two and two? 
you know, I think Stidham fits those characteristics right now. I haven't seen enough to think like, yeah, everybody can have a game. I think if we studied every backup quarterback, they had that one game. <laughs> he threw for 300. He, he won a lot yeah. of money with one game. Yeah. And we always, and then once that guy has to play more than those four games, it's like, mm. but he does, he does look like he can do some things as far as backup, you know, what you want in a backup. So I wouldn't, I, I don't read too much more into that unless, unless that this would be coach Payton's biggest scouting job ever. If he, if Stidham ends up being the starter and they go to the Super Bowl, that's, that's incredible. You got me thinking on Matt Flynn now. I mean, I remember um, covering that game at Lambeau, New York, New, New Year's Day. We may or may not have went out for New Year's Eve in downtown Green Bay. Maybe my apartment was the spot everybody kind of hung out at after the fact. And got the bounce back ability I had in my early 20s to just boom. Oh, noon kickoff. No, no problem. We can cover that game. You got it. Um, and that game, That game was wild. Right, I mean, sets the wow. franchise record for touchdowns. Uh, they finish fifteen and one. They get the number one seed, and I just I chuckled because I had to I had to pull up the uh, the quote. So this is air after that game, right? So Matt Flynn is going to be a sought after quarterback in free agency, even though he only started two games. I, I love talking to Matt Flynn in that locker room. He was always just, he had stories for days, laid back. Um, Aaron, and he's going to support his guy, but Aaron Rodgers declared Matt Flynn a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. So I just chuckled because, right, you know, Aaron Rodgers has made it very clear that Green Bay's front office and their current general manager, Brian Kudikins, they don't have a clue, apparently, on when they're going to, you know, move on from players, sign players, how they function, how they treat players. GM Aaron Rodgers was was said that that Matt Flynn was a top fifteen quarterback, and as we saw, to bring it full circle, gets to Seattle, they draft Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson beats him out from really the word go. And I had people telling me that how Wilson was just first in the building, last to leave, was just working way harder than Matt Flynn, and it made it not even a decision with this play and his approach. Um, so yes, one game can, can be a little deceiving. So maybe but, we should, we're not, we're not going to print the Jarrett Stidham revival t-shirts quite yet, but we'll just keep it on the back burner. No, it's still worth noting though. I think that's what Peter can, that is a good, like for coach Payton to single that quarterback out says something. I mean, he wouldn't have signed. He, he definitely wanted to work with him. So that that's, it's worth talking about. That's not beating. That's not going right. to beat. That's not going to win the AFC. You don't. You don't think Jared Stidham can go toe to toe with Mahomes? He can go toe to toe with Garoppolo. <laughs> oh, Garoppolo just catching strays as he tends to do on this podcast. I just love that the odds um, got worse after they signed him. That's my favorite thing of the offseason, That the Raiders' odds got worse after they signed their starting quarterback. Anyway, it's, it's always he, that was absolutely one of those, you know, what are we here kind of moves? What, what are we doing here, Vegas? What's, what's the game plan? Is, is the game plan to muddle and mediocrity? All right. Last segment. I really want to make this a segment. 
because we've you've got stories from your travels. Traveling is when you can, traveling is what brings this out. And so we've we've definitely um, you know beat the dead horse of shopping carts into just bloody submission. I mean that horse is. You have everybody's aware. Really, really down, really down to the nitty gritty. Yes, we've we've done what we can in that department. Um, I'd say even the elevators. You know, make sure. I've yeah, seen you do, with the elevators. Do not get onto an elevator before everybody on said elevator has exited. Uh, oh, to, real quick on the shopping carts before I forget, Kyle Brandt. What are we doing? What did you see this, Kyle Brandt? Yeah. Talked about shopping carts. He was asked about shopping carts. I saw it. And maybe, I don't know, you know, he, I, being out there in L.A., it does something to your brain, possibly. I don't know. He he seems to believe and suggested that taking the cart and just pushing it up onto a curb or a, a nearby landscaping area, what have you, is fine. He said he does that. You know, he just kind of, you know. Props it up on a curb and goes about his merry way, which is almost worse. I mean, you're making that conscious decision to, I mean, you're, you are in the process of relocating the cart, but you don't relocate the cart to its home. Disgraceful. And he's admitting. Maybe, maybe Kyle should mount up the cart to the corral. You know, he likes to mount up Bill's mafia. Time to mount up the cart to the corral, Kyle. I just can't believe he's admitting it. Right, exactly, to verbalize that, to put that on the record. You can't brag about moving it to the curb. You can't brag about that. I would think the FBI is involved already if they aren't. I mean, they're probably involved in this situation. Sorry. All right, so what, Carts, yeah, what do we got? What's our new elevators? Who are we looking for? Who are we, we, looking for? we know. Oh, I'm getting to it. It was brutal. We know, you know deplaning the the budger. Get the elbow out. Make sure you you know stick them right in the sternum if they're trying to budge you as you deplane. We've we've established that. I don't even know if this is a regular thing. So if listeners are out there, please tell me if this is like just what on uh, if somebody's sixty years or older at the gym kind of thing because I just noticed it. So Sunday morning, went to to uh, the gym in Hamburg. Wanted to get a little get a little run in, get onto a treadmill, and one of those treadmills where your feet kind of sticks. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna shimmy on into the one to my right. And there was only one other person on the dozen or so treadmills there who was now right by me. So I he had been there. I move a little closer, and so we're right by each other. He's walking. I'm getting in a little brisk jog. And the smell, the aroma, uh, it it hit me like a sledgehammer across the face. This gentleman had cologne on. Cologne. Cologne guy. Cologne gym guy. Who goes to a gym doused in cologne? Old guy cologne. You know that old, what's it, that old stuff our grandfather used to have, like brute? It kind of smelled like that. And it hit, I mean, it was, it, it almost just knocked me backwards. Very, very strong whiff. And um, I don't know where I'm even going with this, but it was, it was, it was a tough mile to get through. You know, if he was, if he would have just pulled out a six pack of SIGs or 
Six don't come in six packs. Beer comes in six packs. If he were to just start smoking cigs on the treadmill, it would have been better than the smell of cologne at 7 a.m. on the treadmill next to me. So here's, here's where it gets worse. So he just does a little walk. And then he goes to, you know, work the machines and the, the weights and stuff. The machines are right in front of the treadmills. Um, and eventually, you know, I'm I'm moving. I'm grooving. I'm listening to Drew McGarry's uh, audio book, The Night the Lights Went Out, which is fantastic. Everybody should listen to it. And then I'm almost done. You know, at the end of that that run, when you, you crank it to like eight miles an hour and you're really moving and grooving, what happens, Jim? He returns. He goes to the machine right in front of me. And the cologne remains piercing through the nostrils and uh, i didn't collapse we finished we were okay but does anybody do that who like you're, you're going to the gym you're gonna sweat a lot you're gonna stink nobody cares if you stink at a gym if you smell terribly if your bo is just outrageous you you're at a gym that's kind of the point the bo alone at the gym where do people stand so i think you could take this another level where you're i like this just Cologne in general, calm down. It, it's not just the gym. It's it's on a plane. Yeah. I've been going to Vegas every weekend. It's in Vegas. I mean, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want anybody to smell you before they see you, and that's good or bad. Because if it's too, if even if you think you smell good in your mind, because you just dumped a bottle of whatever on your head, you're get this is your big night out in Vegas. They're gonna they're gonna smell me. They're not going to just see me. They will smell. I just, I promise you, it's not the right look. Like, it's not the cologne in general. And to your point, I don't know who would do it going to a gym. So I'm taking it to that. I love this one, Tyler. We got to run with it. We all have to calm down on cologne. Perfect. I think you're right. I think we take it to that level. I think that cologne is is counterproductive. I'm not a cologne guy, and I don't even know the last time I put cologne on. I think, you know, you need to demand more out of your deodorant. It's hard to find a good deodorant because most deodorant's pretty terrible. But, you know, you find one that works for you, shower regularly. Shower regularly. Don't do what Dan Orlovsky does and use the same towel a million times over like he tweeted. That's kind of disgusting. You know, make sure you wash the towels on the rack. You know, keep a good cycle there. And your hygiene's good. I think the I think cologne is just a, a a creation of mankind that is completely superfluous, unnecessary. We don't need it, right? I I've never smelled a cologne and thought, mm, I need that. That smells good. Well, know. think about this. Have you ever heard when you see it when you meet another couple and say, "Oh, how'd you guys meet?" You never hear anybody say, "Oh, the very first time we met, he had this overwhelming smell of brute." And I just had to talk. I just wanted to talk to him more. He he was overwhelming. Like, no, no, that's not how you're meeting anybody. How How is Axe body spray like so lucrative? How, how did that become like you see commercials all the time? It's so I, I don't know if it's still popular. It's remember back in high school. Like, yeah, they think you could just walk around and spray yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there like an old Family Guy bit, um, Axe body spray for for like stray feral cats, and Peter's just like engulfed by cats. And, like that's kind of what Axe body spray is. Like anybody who enjoys Axe body spray, um, it, it's probably a feral cat. I don't think any human beings actually enjoy that smell. So, all right, yeah, cologne guy. Yeah, it's not even Jim cologne guy. It's just cologne guy. 
I think we're on it. I think we got to keep this one alive. I don't know. I will say this. It, it has seemed to. I'm surprised. You're right. By describing that guy's age probably does. It, it helps with the story because. Yeah. It's an yeah. old guy thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's yeah. I think it's heading that way. So. Probably, you know, probably put it in his hand and just slabbed his neck with it and his head. And um, he did have a, I believe, watch, he's probably a listener of the show. I believe he had a California bear flag sweatshirt on. Maybe it, maybe it's a California thing. I don't know. No, it's not. You know, Kyle Brant's not returning shopping carts. He, um, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Kyle. We got to get him on the show. Talk some sense into him. Okay, Jim, that was that, that was, was good one. incredible. Yes, thank you so much for your contributions on all things. And everybody out there, hey, thanks for listening and watching to the Jamal Lewis Happy Hour replay. That was a lot of fun. He is a special, special dude, just incredibly gracious with his time, open with everything he's dealing with. So if you haven't, We'd love it if you considered upgrading to a VIP membership. We have a lot more happy hours planned. And I want you to tell me who you want to hang out with, who you want to drink a beer with. And I will find that player and we will get him on a happy hour for you. In addition to your go along hoodie and blood and guts. So the link is in the description. Fatty Beer Company fueling us as always. We need to finalize our draft party date ASAP. No, we've said it, but we're going to do that, Jim. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Until next time, return your shopping carts, don't put on cologne, be kind at the airports, and subscribe. Thank you.